Hello and welcome to Real Commercial Propcast, the commercial property podcast where we look to answer the most common questions for anyone on the commercial property journey, whether you're an investor, business owner or somewhere in between. The topics we discuss are of general nature only and don't consider your personal objectives or financial situation. So it's always best to obtain independent advice before making any commercial property decisions. Hello again, I'm your host Tessa Ng and I'm the Head of Product at Real Commercial Australia. And as always, I'm pleased to be joined by my co-host David Storey, who spent many years in the commercial property industry working across all asset classes in marketing and communications. Hey David, good to be back for another episode. What are we talking about today? Yeah, hi Tess, great to be back and uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, Look, I'm looking forward to today as this is the topic where we find all about what's driving the industrial warehousing boom. Yeah, it's such an interesting topic and one of the asset classes that we definitely did see a lot of growth over the last few years despite all of the uncertainty through COVID Uh, and it's an investment class that many investors and business owners are interested in at the moment for various reasons Uh, but to help us out today to understand that more we have Sass Spale joining us from CBRE. Sass is the head of industrial and logistics research at CBRE for the Pacific region and she's the director of New South Wales Research. SAS has studied economic supply chain logistics and so has a wealth of knowledge on this topic and regularly shares her insights with some of Australia's largest property investors. And she's also a regular commentator within the industry as well. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today, SAS. Welcome. Thanks, Tessa. Good to be here. Yeah, hi, SAS. And look, yeah, thanks for giving us your time today. Um, to start us off, I just want to touch on a topic that you know everyone has uh, been a part of. We've all witnessed it and we've all been part of it due to the very different way that we've all lived over the past couple of years. You know, I'm sure that our listeners have read about it uh, and about how our changing buying patterns have impacted commercial property. But, you know, they may not realise to the extent that impact may have had. You know, we've seen online shopping rise over the years and particularly over the last couple of years during COVID. You know, e-commerce, contactless shopping via click and collect and faster delivery methods, you know, became as important as ever. So, you know, from your point of view, how's that impacted the industrial warehousing space? Yeah, David, it's it's quite an interesting one. I mean, I have certainly uh, been shopping a lot online over the past two years, um, you know, particularly during the lockdown. And I've sort of, even though lockdowns have eased, um, I'm still in that habit. And I'm sure a lot of um, consumers in Australia or around the world um, have been doing the same. So we, we have seen online shopping rise rapidly over the past two years. Um, and Australian consumers spent last year a record $55 billion on online retail. And you compare that to 2019 at about $31 billion. So massive rise um, in online spend. And industrial logistics space plays a really big role in facilitating all this online shopping. You know, from storing the correct amount of inventory in the warehouse, which is, uh, you know, greater inventory to minimize fulfillment delays, uh, to picking and packing, and then to transport goods to the end consumer, um, or what we call the last mile of distribution. So this movement of goods has generated a lot of demand for commercial space in this sector. Um, And pure e-commerce occupiers now actually contribute to around a quarter of all this demand for space. And really, this is only going to increase as we forecast online spending continue to grow. Um, At the moment, 
the online retail spend as a share of the total retail spend is at around 15%. And we expect this figure to grow to 20% in the next you know, four to five years. Um, David, I'm not sure how much you're contributing to all this growth if you're spending a bit online. <laughs> Just a little bit. I may be a big contributor, let's say. I can definitely say that I'm with you, Sass, and I have definitely, I was already a pretty avid online shopper and definitely through lockdown that increased um, twofold, I think, for me. is definitely doing a lot more than usual. Um, but as well as that rise in online shopping, we're noticing that some other key drivers for growth in the industrial, industrial asset class are transport costs and technology. So how do those two areas impact on the decision-making process of an investor? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So transport cost um, is a real big one, you know, occupies for, for occupies in the e-commerce and logistics space. So generally transport costs make up, you know, half of their overall costs and rents making up about 5%. So uh, location is, is really key for occupiers to reach transport efficiency, uh, location to these end users or consumers, to minimise factors such as fuel and road tolls. And as we know, that's rising, um, you know, dramatically over the past couple of months. So that efficiency of the last mile distribution is is really what will drive the rent growth for infill areas um, as occupiers will have a greater demand to elasticity to pay a rental premium. They'll have greater scope to pay um, higher rents to, to reduce their transport costs. Um, Interestingly, we're seeing a lot more investment in technology um, and that's just to you know improve efficiencies. So not as much as what we've seen in the US. The US is really established in this area with you know all their new major warehouses, about 70% of them fully automated. So we, we lag behind that growth, but where that gap is definitely going to narrow over the next decade. Uh, but just to put into perspective, you know, the difference between an automated warehouse and, you know, a traditional manual warehouse. Um, now, that manual warehouse is really just persons to goods. So a worker will move to pick a pick location, will pick an item from the floor with a trolley and deliver the goods to a delivery dock. So some mechanical functions may be involved where you've got like a forklift or a conveyor. But for the most part, the worker is really key in that operation. And we look at an automated warehouse, which we say it's a goods um, to person, where the robots will handle the materials and deliver them directly to the appropriate workers using sortation equipment, um, automated storage and retrieval systems. And there's really a massive difference with respect to productivity because a manual warehouse will need about 40 to 50 pickers um, to process around 20,000 orders per hour and an automated warehouse using robots or shuttles will do the same work with only one to five pickers. Um, so this will naturally, all this automation will impact the specifications for buildings. Um, it will create a greater need for modern logistics space and we're seeing that there's greater capital investment by landlords to accommodate accommodate uh, to accommodate automation um, as well as higher capital commitment by tenants for fit out works and that can actually result in the automation costing more than the actual building itself but the benefits for that is that it can increase the rents uh, for some buildings it creates stickier tenants so longer lease terms 
Um, it can increase the value of properties um, and pressure on annual review structures as well. So this all results in a greater security of income um, and generally tenants that have stronger covenants. So a lot more secure um, in, in collecting rents. Yep. That's really interesting, Sass. And, and as you say, we're probably not as far down the journey as uh, they are in the US, say in automation, for example. But you know, you, you think about automation as probably being the higher end of the market. You know, with some of the larger organisations that probably have the you know the, the money to invest in that. If we if we think about the the mum and dad investors out there, and they're looking at this asset class, you know, industrial being an asset class that is a an option for them. You know, if we think about cost, you know, something that both investors and business owners will be extremely interested in, how has that increased demand in space um, affected rents? And, you know, what do you expect in terms of rental pricing over the next 12 months? Yeah, that's a really good question. Really hot topic is on the rental growth because, you know, historically we haven't really seen much movements in industrial rents. But what we have seen over the past eight months um, and really over the past quarter is really the rent growth beginning to accelerate. And um, our national rents have grown about 7% over the past 12 months. And most of this movement is in the Sydney market where most of the demand um, is coming from. So Sydney has recorded 11% uh, rent growth. So that's massive rent growth, double digit figures. Um, and effective rental growth has been even stronger because incentives have trended down over this same period. So this, you know, rent growth is actually not surprising because we've seen the vacancy rate trend down over the past two years at a record low now of 1.3% nationally. Um, the tightest is actually in Sydney at about half a percent, which is unbelievable. So hardly any stock available. Um, and that's really may, mainly owing to the fact that supply is not kept in pace with this extraordinary amount of demand that we've seen in the market. Um, and that supply pipeline is constrained by limited industrial zone land. Um, so that vacancy rate is really expected to remain at low levels. Um, and with that being said, rental growth we forecast will continue to accelerate. And, and we really forecast it to reach double digit growth nationally um, over the next couple of years. If we look globally, that's not a surprising figure. It, that's, you know, double digit growth. We've actually seen 30% year on year growth in the US, um, which is extraordinary. So that really mirror markets like the US, UK, Canada, um, where they've experienced all this high rent growth over the past couple of years, when their vacancy rates dipped below 2%, and particularly their e-commerce penetration rates surpassed 14%. So that online retail spend is really a huge propeller for demand. Um, and that's definitely causing a huge rental growth. Um, and, and our rent forecast will, will stay at that high level over the next few years. Yeah, it's incredible to hear what some of those forecasts is for that rental growth and yeah, and the, the, the lack of stock that's available. It's quite an amazing time for industrial. And, and we spoke a bit about um, how you could potentially you know, increase the value of that um, investment property by doing things like automation for, for your warehouse. And, and that's very, um, I guess, prominent in the retail sector. But just out of curiosity, Sass, are you seeing more demand for um, warehousing from other like non-retail 
um, tenants as well. Yeah, that's an interesting one because there is a lot of headline on e-commerce and it's a very, um, it's a relatively newer um, source of demand for industrial logistics. It's, you know, traditionally played quite a smaller role under 10% of, of demand nationally. So the main contributors still remain as transport and logistics um, type occupiers. So toll, DHL, those types of providers, um, which are definitely servicing the e-commerce sector as well. Uh, but we also have a huge share of demand from manufacturing. So manufacturing is around 20% um, of demand. And a lot of that um, in Australia is food manufacturing. So that food sector is a really strong driver of growth. Um, in my opinion, I think that's a real long-term stable driver, driver of growth because what we saw is not only during the pandemic and the downturn that we've seen in the economy, um, not only has that fueled online sales, but it's also fueled uh, spend in non or consumer staples, so non-discretionary retail. So obviously in an economic downturn, consumers still require food and medical supplies. And these are sort of the types of items that they won't really pull back on. So that food logistics, food manufacturing and food distribution is really going to continue to uh, contribute to strong demand for industrial logistics. And particularly given that Australia has really a competitive advantage in producing food. So we export a lot of our food products, um, you know, and we, we saw, um, you know, a trade agreement between Australia and India. So that's another huge market where we're probably going to export not just minerals, but a lot of food products as well. And that's already happening, um, you know, with China and um, in the Middle East as well. In the UK, if we take out minerals um, as a source of export, food actually becomes the second most, um, you know, high value good of exports and volume of good of exports. Um, so that's only going to grow stronger as not only our domestic demand drivers kick in, but also, um, you know, we bring in the international consumers as well and we broaden that landscape. Um, so that's a really interesting one to sort of keep an eye out for. And there's obviously a lot of associated occupiers associated with food, including uh, food packaging companies as well. Um, so, you know, there's a huge myriad of, of different types of occupiers within that category of the food industry sector. Yeah, look, Sasa, I just wanted to see if I can just um, delve into your experience and, and your access to the data a little bit more if I could. And I just maybe want to touch on a question that maybe our listeners out there might be uh, wanting an answer to or, or hoping that we ask. Because um, you've provided with some great insights into the industrial sector. It's clear that it's an asset class that's, you know, it's experiencing considerable growth and it'll continue to do so. But, you know, just, you know, can I ask your opinion or, or whether you have any data on how industrial is being viewed by the smaller investor? You know, if, uh, you know, the mum and dad investor out there wanting to uh, get into commercial property are thinking about uh, industrial, um, you know, maybe as an addition to their portfolios or just to start out, have you seen much activity from them? And are there opportunities that you believe are there for them to actually consider industrial as a viable option? Um, oh, definitely. I think... You know, um, we've seen a lot of movement, particularly under that $10 million or under 5,000 square metres um, of industrial sale activity, um, pretty much totaling about the same volume as those above 5,000 square metres. So investors we've found um, and privates have always really seeked exposure in INL over the past couple of years, but 
clearly we're seeing even more activity due to the global thematics underpinning this sector um, and boosted by relatively low interest rates and relatively low bond yields. So investors can really go direct in the market for smaller product as there is a lot of stock um, out there or a lot of people are investing in listed and unlisted funds um, to gain greater exposure as they are growing rapidly. So for example, um, Centuries Industrial Logistics Listed Fund or even Trader Hall's Direct Unlisted Fund. Um, so we're seeing a lot more activity in that space. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sass. That does wrap us up for today, but thank you for coming along onto the podcast today and sharing your insights. It's been awesome having you. Thanks, Tessa and David. It's been a pleasure. If you're hungry for more information on the industrial sector, you can check out our new section on Real Commercial, which I'll link in the show notes below. It's got a great range of content from guides and advice through to recent news and happenings in commercial property, so do go check it out. But otherwise, thank you for joining us for another episode of Real Commercial Propcast, brought to you by the number one address for commercial property, realcommercial.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so that you never miss out on a new episode. Catch you next time.